For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm one of the leaders here at Grace Church. And you, as Michael said, you've joined us on week three of a series that is trying to look through the storyline of the Bible from beginning to end. Like, what is the great story that the Bible tells? Because Grace Church exists for one reason. And the one reason we exist is, it's up there, to share the good news of Jesus. That's why, that's why Grace Church exists. That's what we're passionate about. That's what we want to do. Our, our, the reason we planted Grace Church was because we wanted to share the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done with people in Hartlepool. We wanted Christians to be hearing that again and again, to be encouraged and built up by it. We wanted people who don't know Jesus to hear the good news of who he is. Um, but it strikes me that a lot of what we talk about, or what people talk about when they talk about Christianity, is a slightly anemic version of Christianity. It's like a Christianity that kind of exists around the edges. It tells us a bit about, you know, how to live a good life. It tells us some nice positive messages. It has something to say about forgiveness. It's this kind of watered-down Christianity that you kind of think, why would anybody be passionate about sharing that? Like, why would anybody make, them, make something with a, with a vision of sharing Christianity when Christianity is so bland? Actually, when you look at the storyline of the Bible... It is the greatest story that you can imagine because it's the story of where the world came from, what went wrong with the world, and what, if anything, we can do about that. What, what is the hope for this world? What is the solution to the world's problem? That, that's the storyline of the Bible. There's, there's, it's difficult to imagine anything that could be more relevant to people. It's difficult to imagine any news that we could more want to share than that news, the news of what God has done to sort out the, the mess of this world. And, and so we began a couple of weeks ago by looking at where the Bible begins, which is that in the beginning, God created everything. That's where the storyline of the Bible begins, because if, if God didn't do that, then why should we care what he says? Why should we have any interest in what he says about what the world, how the world works, what the problem with the world is, what the potential solution to the world is? Why should we listen to that? But we should listen to it because he made the world. And therefore he has the authority to say this is how the world should function. But he also knows the best way for the world to exist, the best way for us to live in the world. So we started with that. I think that's where the Bible story begins. In the beginning, God created everything, so he understands it. He has authority over it. But then, the story goes on to, well, what goes wrong in this world? If God made the world, and the world was good, then, then what was it that has made the world so broken? And, and the explanation that God gives to what has gone wrong in the world is sin. Now, I am aware that when I say the word sin, it's one of those words that gets people's antibodies running in our society. Like, we just, we don't like it to be talked about. It feels like one of those religious words that people use to kind of talk about a whole wide range of things, but basically to make people feel bad about themselves. But, but basically... Any time we do something different to what God intended in his world, that is sin. God made the world, he designed it to work a certain way, 
And any time we do something other than that, we break the world a little bit. We make the world a little bit worse. And so over time, the world becomes very, very broken. That's what happens. Because every time we decide we're not going to live in the world the way that, the, that God intended it to be, we make it a bit worse. And if you think about all of human history, how many times that has been done by, by how many different people, we have made the world a pretty broken place. And that, that sin that the Bible talks about, that has consequences. Human beings become separated from the God who made them. We're on a different page to him, moving in a different direction, passionate about different things. That's, that's what it means to not do live life the way God intended. It means that we're pulling away from God rather than in the same direction. So we become separated from God. But more than that, a perfect God cannot simply go, oh, it's fine that you've broken the world. So, so God himself cannot tolerate existing with people who have broken the world in such a way. He can't tolerate all of the wickedness and pain and brokenness we've brought into the world. And the Bible says that it's that, it's most basically that, it's that, that rejecting of God's way, saying I'm not going to do it your way, I'm going to do it my own way, that is the most fundamental problem in the world. And it is that which has led to all of the lying and envy and malice and discontent and anger and murder and abuse and exploitation which we see in the world around us. All of that came from that root problem we said to God, we're not going to live in your world the way that you want us to. And so the question that that should leave us with, week three of this little series looking through the story around the Bible, is what's the solution to that problem? Like, like wh where do we find hope that that isn't just the storyline of the world? Because it seems to have been the storyline of the world. It's been going on for quite a few thousand years now, and there's no real sign of it changing. So, so where, where can we find that? And of course, the solution to what is wrong with the world is going to be driven by how you answer that initial question of what is wrong with the world. Uh, let me see if I can just explain this to you. So for example, if you think the problem with society today is that young people have no respect anymore, then you are going to think that the answer, the solution to our world's problems is found in better discipline in schools, stronger family units, better policing. If that's what you think the problem is, your solution is going to reflect that problem. If you think the problem with the world is, I don't know, substance abuse, then you are likely to think that the solution is found in rehabilitation clinics, in more awareness of the impact of substances, in better enforcement. If you think the biggest problem our world faces is climate change, you are going to think the solution is, I don't know, green energy and vegetarianism. If you think the problem is poverty, you are going to think the solution is economic growth or a new political party or communism or whatever you pick on. If you think the problem is fake news and misinformation and ignorance, your solution is education. See, whatever you think the problem with this world is, at its most foundational level, that's going to drive where you put your hopes, where you think you will find a solution to those problems. If our problem is ignorance, 
Our saviour is education. If our problem is poverty, our saviour is money. If our problem is our situation, our saviour is society. If our problem is mental health, our saviours are therapists. So in order to follow the storyline of the Bible, in order to go where the Bible is going to take us this week, you first got to engage with and accept what the Bible says the fundamental problem is. If you, if you don't think the fundamental problem to the world, in the world is sin, is our rejection of God's way, then fundamentally the Bible's got nothing to say to you. It can't, it can't solve other problems because that is what it sees at its most basic level as the problem in the world. Our chief problem is our attempt to live in God's world in a way different to the way he created us to live in it. Sin. And that is why the Bible is obsessed with the question of, well, what's the solution to this sin problem in the world? That's why Christians for 2,000 years have talked about sin. And I've talked about what needs to happen with sin. And, and if we're going to ask the question, well, what is the problem with sin? There's, there's two elements to the problem with sin. The first is that sin makes us guilty. That's what it does. Because we are, each one of us, every one of us sat in this room, and every, one of, every human being not sat in this room, is guilty of the worst crime imaginable. We have taken a perfect world and we've broken it. We've taken a world without any pain and suffering and what we've done is introduced pain and suffering into it. We've taken a world with no mistrust in it and we've introduced betrayal into it. We've taken a world with no unkindness into it and we've introduced envy and malice and gossip into it. That's the crime humanity is guilty of according to the Bible. That's what human beings have done in this world. All of us Every single one of us has contributed something to the brokenness of our world. We've contributed something to it. And so we're all guilty. And, and we all know we are. That's why we so often feel guilty when we introduce some more brokenness into the world. And that's why lying and stealing and gossiping and cheating and losing our temper makes us feel guilty. Because we are guilty time we do that we're guilty of adding more brokenness into the world adding a bit more pain a bit more suffering into the world but interestingly the issue isn't primarily that we feel guilty because those things do make us feel guilty uh, but our society will tell us what we need to do then is to get rid of the feelings of guilt but I want to suggest that only half solves the problem because that might make us feel better, but it doesn't solve the problem that before the God who made this perfect world, we are guilty. We're guilty of misusing it, of rejecting its creator, of bringing additional pain and suffering into it. Biblically, what the Bible says is guilt is not just a feeling, it's a reality. It's not just that we feel guilty that we need to sort out, it's that we are guilty. We have done that. Uh, so that's the first problem with sin that needs sorting out. We've got to do something about that. If we're going to deal with this sin problem in the world, we've got to have a solution to that problem, the fact that we are guilty. Every one of us is guilty. But we've also got to deal with the second problem, which is that sin now has this hold over us. Because when we rejected our God, uh, when we rejected the God who made us, what we did is we changed the shape of our heart and our lives. Our hearts and lives became bent away from God rather than towards him. 
And what that means is we cannot stop ourselves from sinning. It, the Bible describes it as a kind of slavery. We've actually sung words that speak of that idea already today. It describes it as a kind of slavery. However much we want to stop sinning, we seem to keep doing it. We keep losing our temper. We keep ignoring God. We keep thinking unkind thoughts. We keep being envious. We keep lying. We keep using other people rather than loving them. And if you're someone here today saying, I, I, I just don't believe that. I think we can be better than that. I think we can turn our lives around. If you don't think you are a slave to sin, the ultimate test is fine. Just show me that you're not by never sinning again in your life. If you're not a slave to sin, prove it. Just never lie to someone ever again. Never say an unkind word. Never think an unkind thought. Then we can have a conversation about whether you're a slave to sin or not. But the reality is we all know we don't do that. That's what the Bible means when it says we're a slave to sin. It means that we, we, just, we keep doing it. We can't break that. And so the solution to the problem of sin in our world would have to deal with those two great consequences of sin. It would have to take away our guilt and it would have to defeat sin's power over us. And the question we're left with, or we should be left with, is what on earth could do that? Because human beings have been trying to deal with that for thousands of years and not seemingly made absolutely no progress. There seems there is no clear demonstration that the sin problem is getting any better. You couldn't draw a graph and say, oh, look, we're on a steady decline in the amount of sin in the world. We're not. Everything we've done doesn't seem to have done anything. So what do we need? Well, we, to deal with our guilt, we need someone to take our place, someone who can stand and be condemned in our place. But then to defeat sin, we need someone stronger than us who can defeat the stranglehold it has over us. And that's a bit of a quandary, because that means that we simultaneously need somebody who is like us and somebody who's not like us. We need someone like us to stand in our place and take our punishment and the consequences of sin and we need someone not like us who's actually able to withstand what sin, the, the stranglehold sin has over us. Uh, and so how is that going to be achieved? Well, the Bible is going to tell us the story of how that's going to be achieved. Uh, and it's going to be achieved through God himself becoming a man like each of us in the person of Jesus. Jesus will be that person who is just like us and therefore can stand in our place but he will also be the only sinless human being who can actually stand up against sin's slavery over us. Now, the storyline of the Bible and the whole of the Old Testament it, 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 and the whole of the New Testament is all about that. So to try and like, do something about this in whatever I've got left, the next 15, 20 minutes, it's going, to be, it's going to be a challenge because the whole Old Testament looks forward to the moment where Jesus is going to come and deal with sin. The whole New Testament looks back to the moment that he did do that. So really to understand that, you've got to get into the whole Bible. So it's going to be challenging, but here's what I'm, got, what I'm going to do. I just want to look at one verse. It's from 2 Corinthians 5. I got you to open it up at the start. Um, it, it's, a, it's a relatively well-known verse and it just clearly describes how God's great solution works. It's from 2 Corinthians, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 21. It's on page 1162. It reads like this. God made him, the him there is Jesus, that's who he's being talked about. So God made Jesus, 
him who had no sin, so Jesus who, who didn't have sin, who'd never rejected God, who'd never done anything wrong, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's God's great solution to this problem. And I just want to spend a few minutes just unpacking that. Sarah and I this week were watching um, Ted Lasso. Um, I don't know how many of you have, have watched it. It's, it's a very watchable show um, about an American who takes over a, a football club. And in the episode, one of the episodes that we were watching, one of the characters gets themselves into all kinds of trouble because they've done this thing and everyone's found out about it. And they're not sure what the consequences of this are going to be, not sure how it's going to work out. And so, and one of the other characters says, oh, don't worry, I'm going to sort it out for you. And so, you know, they breathe a sigh of relief and they go, great, it's going to be sorted out for me. They're going to, they're going to sort out this issue. You know, this, this, this stuff about me that's been put on the internet, they're going to get rid of it, it's going to go away. And then, a day or two later, the, this person sends them through a statement and they say, oh, what I want you to do is to read out this statement. And it's this statement which basically says, you know, the classic sort of non-apology apology, you know, oh, I'm terribly sorry that this has come out and that, uh, you know, anyone was upset by it. And the person just says at that point, when you said you were going to sort it out, I thought you were actually going to sort it out. I didn't think you were going to write me a statement that I have to read out about. Like, that's not really sorting it out. That, that's just, like, it, it wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what they wanted from it. And sometimes I, I worry that we, we, we view Christianity a little bit like that. We think that when God says he's going to sort it out, what, what he's going to give us is, is a statement that we need to read out. A list of things that we need to do. You know, oh, well, if you can just do this and excuse yourself, if you can just explain it away, if you can just do this, that, that's what God's going to do. But what God is going to do is what that person wanted. He's going to take it away. He's going to make it as if it wasn't there. And that's where this verse begins. It begins by saying that God placed all of our sin, all of your sin, onto Jesus. All of our guilt for all of the ways we've broken the world was placed on Jesus. That's what it means when it says God made him who know, knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus became sin for us. Every unkind word was placed on Jesus. Every selfish action was placed on Jesus. Every lie, every drunken outburst, every thoughtless oversight was placed on Jesus. He literally became sin for us. God doesn't give us a statement to read to kind of explain it away. He doesn't give us a 10-step program. These are the ways you start making amends. He doesn't give us a payment plan by which we can make it all right. Now God says, all of that guilt that you have and that you walk around with every day, I'm going to take that on myself. All of the feelings of guilt, I will take. All of the consequences of that guilt, the death, the pain, the humiliation, the separation from God, I'm going to take that on myself as well. And so Jesus, on the cross, took the sins of the whole world on himself. He took the guilty verdict and the just sentence on himself and he said, that is now mine. That is the heart of God's solution. You are guilty, but God says that as the judge, I'm going to take that guilt myself. And I'm going to pay the penalty myself so that you can be declared innocent. Now this, 
I might have laboured that point a little bit. I, I, it might have been a, a bit heavy at points. But I just I cannot overemphasise um, how important that idea is. But basically, everything that Christianity is, every big idea of Christianity refers back to that idea. That, so, so when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about that, the word gospel simply means good news. And the good news is this, that Jesus took your sin on himself, that he was declared guilty so that you could be declared innocent, that he was punished so that you could go free. That's what we mean when we talk about the gospel. That's what we mean when we talk about grace. We, we call our church Grace Church Hartlepool. Like why, why is grace so central to the idea of Christianity? Well, because grace is the free gift through which God declares you innocent by taking the guilt on himself. That's what we mean when we talk about grace. That's what we mean when we talk about mercy. Mercy is the act where God says, I will not treat you as your sins deserve, but I will forgive you for it. That's what we mean when we talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not God saying, oh, well, I know you were trying really hard, so I'll overlook that. No, forgiveness is where God says, yes, you did break the world, but I'm going to take that guilt on myself and I'm going to forgive you for it. That's what we mean when we talk about the cross. The cross is the moment whereby God says, this is what your guilt deserves, but I am taking it on myself. Every key word of Christianity is about this event. Every symbol of Christianity is about this event. It's the heart of Christianity. It's the centerpiece. It all points to this great act of God. And here's a question I've been wrestling with this week. If that is such good news, if that is, if that is news that forgiveness is available for guilty people because of what Jesus has done, and it comes at no cost and no conditions, if this is news of the removal of the brokenness we brought into the world, then why doesn't everyone accept it? Why doesn't everyone just go, yeah? Dealing with the brokenness of the world, I could sign up for that. Dealing with my own guilt, yeah, yeah, I want a bit of that. Why doesn't everyone accept it if it is really news that all of the brokenness, all of our guilt, all the things we've done wrong can be taken away simply by what Jesus did at the cross? I just want to suggest maybe there's a few things that get in the way. I think one of the reasons why not everyone accepts it is denial. We deny that this is the problem. We convince ourselves, we're basically good people. We don't need forgiveness. We convince ourselves that God has nothing he could legitimately be upset with me about. I've tried my best. We convince ourselves that the problem is something other than this. Uh, that might be you here today. You might have just sat here listening to me and just going, that's not the problem of the world. Ben doesn't have a clue. No, the problem of the world is something completely different to that. That's not my problem. That's not what I need sorting out. You might have heard all of this and say, it's just not what I need. And I just want to be clear, if, that, if that's you, if this is not what you need, Christianity has nothing for you. Because that's the problem it's solving. That's what it cares about. That's what it's got to offer. It's got to offer a solution to the sin problem in the world. If you're, if you're unwilling to accept that that's the issue with the world, Christianity will make no sense to you. Who cares? If you don't think 
or you don't want or you don't need this, then to take Jesus' words, you are like people who think they're healthy and so don't think they need a doctor. That's, that's just where you are. That's the first reason why I think so many people are resistant to this idea. Just denial. This is not the problem. This is not my problem. I, I don't need that solving. Uh, the second, I, I think, issue that gets in the way of this is pride. Now, now pride is, is the thing which says, I'm not going to accept charity from anyone. I don't want a free gift. I want to earn it. I don't need someone to give me something I don't deserve. If I'm going to be forgiven, I want to earn it myself. I'm going to sort out my own mess. I'll work harder. I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll be a better person. By doing that, I will make myself good enough for God. Pride is the thing which says that free forgiveness based on someone else suffering in our place is not fair and I am not going to accept it. If I'm going to stand before God, I'm going to do it on my merit. I'm going to stand in front of him and say, look, I did my best and it better be good enough for you. And again, maybe, maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're just resisting this very idea that your whole standing before God could be based on what Jesus did, not on what you did. Going, I'll just earn my own forgiveness. Uh, so, so there's two things that I can get in the way. Denial, pride. The third is religion. Religion massively gets in the way of this. The problem with religion is that, it, is that it tells you, you don't need Jesus, you just need to do these things. You don't need Jesus, you just need to go to church. You don't need Jesus, you just need to follow these rules. You don't need Jesus, you just need to be a good person. You don't need Jesus, you just need to do this pilgrimage, give this money, believe these truths. Religion makes it all about us and not about what Jesus has done. Again, maybe that's you here today. Maybe what you've signed up for, maybe what you've come along for is a bit of religion in your life. I, you know, I just need a bit of religion. I want to I feel like I, I'm doing a bit. You've bought into the idea of religion, a bit of church attendance, a bit of prayer, a bit of Bible reading, a bit of morality. It'll, it'll do me good. But none of that is the solution to the problem we face. So that's the first part of the solution to our greatest problem. Our guilt, the consequences of our sin, the penalty of our sin is taken by Jesus so that our guilt is taken away and we are declared innocent. And that removes our separation from God. We can now coexist with a perfect God and it makes us free to know and enjoy him. But the problem is that whilst that is an important part of the solution, it's not enough, is it? Right? Just imagine that you are forgiven freely of everything wrong that you've ever done in your life. Imagine that that happens. Have we now dealt with the problem of the world? Have we now dealt with the brokenness of the world? No, we haven't. Why? Because we're going to keep breaking it. We're going to keep doing things that are going to bring more pain into the world. Great, we're forgiven, but people are still hurting, and the world is still breaking, and our actions are still damaging and destroying. What about that second part? If the world's going to be made right, we don't only need our sin to be forgiven, we need it to be eradicated. We need its power over us to be broken so that we can stop adding to the pain and suffering and the destruction. And so the verse continues. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because that's the second thing that Jesus achieves on the cross. You see, throughout his life, Jesus takes all that sin can throw at him and he triumphs. When sin tempts him to disobey God, he refuses. When sin tempts him to follow his desires, even when God says it's wrong, he resists. When sin throws all of its injustices and pain and anger and betrayal and ultimately even death and judgment at him, he bears it all and then in his resurrection, he declares, I am victorious over this. I am more powerful than this. Jesus' death and resurrection is the moment Jesus experiences all the power of sin against him and defeats it once and for all. Here's one of the things I've observed in my time at Grace Church. There's a degree of defeatism that still remains within Christian community, within people who know this good news, who believe in the cross. There's just a degree of defeatism that still exists. There's a degree to which we still believe. I just can't stop filling the blank. I can't stop being selfish. I can't stop losing my temper. I can't stop giving in to this temptation. I can't commit to church. I can't build the kind of loving relationships that you're calling us to. There's this kind of defeatism that we still can't do those things. But that's not what this says. At the cross, Jesus defeated sin so that that now becomes possible for us. You see, this third act of the gospel story, where we are this week, it makes us two great promises. Promise number one, you, whoever you are sat here today, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven for all of your sin, all of your disobedience to God. That's the first promise. Here's the second promise it makes. The power of sin over your life can be broken and we can now resist sin. Now, now don't hear me wrong. We continue, continue to experience the power of sin in our lives. We continue to give in to temptation. We continue to bring pain and suffering into this world. But what does it say? It, it says that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's who we're becoming. We're going to become the righteousness of God. That's what we're being made into. One day we will become the righteousness of God. Not just declared forgiven and innocent, but actually righteous. You see, and it's in those two promises that Earth's great problems are solved. Because if we were just forgiven but not made righteous, the world would continue to be a place of pain and suffering and, and the problem would not be solved. But if we were just made righteous but not forgiven, the world would be a better place, but we would still be guilty. We'd still be guilty of all that we have caused, all the pain we've caused, all the suffering we've caused, and justice would demand that we pay the penalty for that guilt. So, let's try and track the gospel story for where we've got over these weeks. It begins with a God who made us and who makes legitimate demands of us as our creator. He makes the world to live in a certain way and he calls you to live in it that way. It then moves on to people who reject that way of living. We disobey God. And who through that bring 
all kinds of pain and suffering and brokenness into the world. But the story doesn't end there. But rather, in the person of Jesus, it offers us hope into this darkness. It moves on to how all that is wrong is made right. And this happens through forgiveness of sins and the breaking of sin's power in our lives. I'm going I'm to wrap it up here. But here's what I want to suggest for each one of you. This is the solution that the world needs. That's why we create a church to share the good news of Jesus. Because this is the solution that the world needs. Uh, and just to make it personal, that means that this is the solution you need in your life. I, I don't know what you think the solution to your life's problems are. But I talk to people who have any, any number of different ideas. The, the solution to their life is a gym membership. I mean, really? Is that, is that really what's going to sort your life out? You know, I'm going to start going to the gym, I'm going to go every morning, I'm going to turn my life around. It's not, it's not going to sort your life out. The solution to my life is I'm going to join a political party, I'm going to go to a climate change rally, I'm going to give all my money to charity, I'm going to build a healthy routine in my life, I'm going to cut out sugar. We have all these, all these saviours that we're looking to, they're going to sort our life out. And I'm not saying these are bad things, these are not bad things. Many of them are great things. But they're not big enough to deal with the problems of our lives. We're scratching around at the surface. Dealing with minor inconveniences. When actually the root cause, we're leaving entirely untouched. The fundamental problem, the Bible says, is our sin. Every single one of us. And so above everything else, come to find the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Receive the Holy Spirit and know that your sin is taken and that the work of being made perfect, of being made righteous, is begun. So that all that sin has brought into this world, all that sin has brought into your life, will one day be gone, once and for all. That's the third act of the Gospel story. God made the world. We broke the world. But God is going to rescue us. And he has in the first name of Jesus. Let me pray. Let me finish.